it's when we can tap into that internal motivation, that really deep why beyond the scale, beyond that number, as far as weight loss goes, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. That's what motivates us to exercise. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? This past week, I had a really cool opportunity to do a photo shoot with Strong Magazine. Strong Magazine is a publication that really showcases women in strength training and highlights a different type of fitness beyond cardio and only focusing on weight loss. I love the message behind the magazine and everyone there who I got to meet was absolutely lovely. The editor, Kirsten, was really welcoming and then the photographer and makeup artist on set were all so lovely. So it was a great day getting to hang out with all of them. I'm sharing this with you guys because I did some reflecting after the shoot was over and I just thought about being in that scenario, going in, meeting people that you don't know, trying on a couple of outfits so they can decide what colors will look best in the magazine spread, and then essentially getting up on stage. It's a very vulnerable scenario in front of a photographer and an editor who do this for a living and work with people that likely have a lot of experience being in front of the camera. Like I said, everyone at Strong Magazine was absolutely lovely and welcoming, but for someone with a disordered eating past or any challenges with confidence or body image issues, that is a really challenging scenario to be in. In general, we know that magazines tend to showcase a certain body type where body fat percentage is really low and people fit the very conventional mold of what fit is supposed to look like. So being on set, you start to question, do I fit the image that they're looking for? Do I look fit enough? The nature of a photo shoot is that it is entirely appearance driven. How do you look on the camera? Every month, Strong Magazine does a spread where they have a workout of the month. And then the reason that we were there was to help them shoot photos of examples of the exercises. We were kind of demonstrating the exercises on camera. This week, following up that experience, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the photo shoot and how a year or two ago, I would have thought that I would have been completely fine and that I would have dealt with it well and it wouldn't have been triggering for me and triggering for some of my disordered eating habits and thoughts. But the reality is I would have walked away feeling self-conscious that I didn't look fit enough and I 100%, maybe I wouldn't have gone on a quote-unquote diet, but I would have walked away feeling like I need to make some nutrition changes and I would have vowed to myself that I need to be better so that I can fit the look that a trainer is supposed to have more. Those 100% would have been my thoughts walking away. I am very, very, very proud because this time, I completely distanced myself from that. I showed up confident in who I was and confident in my body with a level of self-love for my body that I've never had before. And the shoot did nothing to change that. 
I haven't felt the need to make any changes in my fitness or nutrition or any of the habits that I'm so proud of in my life. I think this is probably close to the first time that that would have been the case. And the reason that I share this with you guys is because Katie and I talk about this in this episode a little bit. This whole thing is such a process. And maybe step one for me was healing from my eating disorder and those exact behaviors that were diagnosable as a clinical eating disorder. But then there have been so, so many steps after that of repairing myself from disordered eating thoughts and repairing myself from from negative self-talk and body image struggles and all of those little steps along the way and that whole process that has been years and a lot of time and thought and effort Now I'm finally at the place where I can deal with something like a photo shoot and it doesn't affect how I feel about myself. I talk about this in the episode, but it's just so important to remember that everyone is on a journey and everyone is at a different place in that journey. And to really dial in and understand that for yourself, like be real with yourself. Your number one priority as you navigate your health and your healing from disordered thoughts is to protect yourself. You have to protect yourself first. Put your mental and emotional health above everything else. Choose not to put yourself in scenarios that you know are gonna be triggering or challenging for you. This is a concept that I don't think I took seriously enough in the past, so that's why I feel like I wanna share this message with everyone else now. On this week's episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Katie Hake. Katie is a registered dietitian, personal trainer, and group fitness instructor, and it's her mission to empower women to overcome their need to measure success by the numbers. She believes that by owning your strength and confidence from within, you can stop quantifying and start actually living. It was a really, really fun conversation connecting with Katie, so I hope that you guys all enjoyed this episode. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I would love to just start by helping listeners get to know you a little bit. So can you tell us a little bit about your story with fitness and nutrition? I want to know where your journey began. Oh my goodness. So my journey specifically with fitness probably started when I was 12 years old, sneaking into my YMCA. My sister would sneak me into the group fitness classes because I think you had to be 16 or so. And that was when I really fell in love with group fitness. And from there, you know, went on to college, started teaching group fitness, um, became a personal trainer, kind of started this whole entrepreneurial journey at that time as well. Kind of how I got to where I am today is I found myself in that hamster wheel of overtraining, undereating, beating myself to the ground till I realized, you know, I had such poor body image and probably was the leanest and the best, you know, physical shape of my life maybe at the time, but not mentally. And so that was kind of for me in college when I realized there's got to be another way. So that kind of led me to start my own practice. And now I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, personal training and and fitness instructor, but really helping people shift um, their mindset and their beliefs around food and fitness. 
Awesome. How you look does not necessarily go with how you're feeling. So you can't just look at someone from the outside, understand how they're feeling, even though they look really fit, right, on the outside. So I think a lot of people um, can definitely relate to that journey and the difference between getting obsessed with how you look and getting wrapped up in chasing that versus dialing into some of the other things that are important in health and fitness. What was the switch for you? When did you realize that you were getting into a place that actually wasn't good and wasn't healthy and wasn't serving you? How did you realize that and start to make some changes? I spent six months in Australia. I studied abroad. And at that time, you know, I turned 21. I found Nutella. I was having the time of my life, but I was still exercising two hours a day. You know, I was, I was doing two a days because I was so fearful of the weight gain and, you know, what this new lifestyle was going to bring to me. And so it wasn't until I got back from Australia and I was back in the States and just, I got tired, you know, I got, I got tired of trying to do everything and burning the candle at both ends. And I just realized like something's got to give. So for me, that was kind of that turning point. At some point you just don't, you can't do it anymore. You're spinning, you're spinning, you're spinning, you're going, you're going, and you just don't have the energy. Let's talk a little bit about body image. Where do you think um, your challenges with body image came from? Where did that start for you? You know, that's a great question. And I think for me, getting so involved in the fitness industry, I mean, there's so positive, so many positives that I could talk about with group fitness and the fitness industry in general. But on the flip side, there's also a lot of negatives. And for me as a fitness professional, you know, at that time as well, I was auditioning for fitness videos and traveling, you know, the Midwest to train fitness instructors. So I bought into that belief that, okay, well, in order to be successful, in order to be taken, you know, seriously as a fitness professional, well, that means I need to be a certain amount of body fat percentage. And it was all about the look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true in the fitness industry. That is really what we've been taught to value. And I think there is added pressure as a trainer, especially to conform to a look. And um, I think often when people are looking for fitness professionals to work with, they're looking at what do they look like? You know, because people that are chasing that look, that certain body fat percentage, they want to see it in their trainer. So it's this added layer of challenge for trainers to kind of deal with that, I think. And then to add to that, you know, some trainers, I know for me at that point in my life, I was teaching 10, 15 classes a week on top of that. You know, I was a full-time student. I was also, you know, working the fitness floor. And so it leaves very little time for yourself. And it's, it's these, you know, like you said, unrealistic expectations. Why did you decide to become a dietitian? I think if you would have told me how much chemistry and you know, science was actually involved when I started, I probably would have run away. But I got to a point where, you know, I knew I wanted to help people with this fitness piece. I felt like, okay, in order to really best serve my clients and the people around me, I've got to understand both of them. I knew that I could be a great teacher. I think that for a lot of people, when they start to get into fitness and nutrition and they start to dive into this world, it starts with really well-intentioned changes. So you start going to the gym more often and you start paying a little bit more attention to what you're eating and starting to make quote unquote healthy choices. And right, there are all these things that seem so good on the surface level, 
But then it's so interesting because many, many, many people have a story similar to yours and similar to mine where it gets to a point where it's too much. And all of those well-intentioned changes start to slowly but surely overtake your life. And it kind of starts to turn south. Can you help us understand at what point does it become too much? Like, how does it happen that for so many of us, these changes that we're making that we mean to be so well and so good in our lives are actually start to become unhealthy? Yeah. You know, I listened to your story. I've, I've heard your story and I so resonated with it. And at the time, right, when you're in the moment, when you're making all those decisions, you're in the depth of it, whether it's, you know, disordered eating or an eating disorder. And I think we'll, you know, we'll touch on maybe orthorexia later in the moment, it feels right. It feels like I'm really making these changes from a positive place in my life. I'm, I'm feeling good. So I think the point where you go, okay, is this becoming an issue is asking yourself, what are you sacrificing in order to make these decisions? So for me, I realized that this was a problem when I was lying you know, telling white lies to friends or family in order to get a workout in. I would say, oh, sorry, I'm not available. I don't, know, I don't have time to go out to dinner with friends on a Friday night because I was training in the morning and I was in class all day and I'm only able to get a workout in at five, six o'clock. So I'm going to ditch dinner plans. And if I missed a workout or if I, you know, ate something that wasn't within my, you know, my guidelines of what I considered healthy, it was really hard for me to bounce back. And I let that negatively impact the rest of my day. So I think when you make choices that aren't in alignment with maybe what you're considering is healthy and it, you're not able to bounce back, you don't have that resiliency. I think that that's when you need to start to question, okay, what else is going on? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. What are you, else are you sacrificing in your life? Because There's a whole spectrum of things that matter here. And I think that when we do go down this path, we start to zero in on fitness and nutrition as two of the most important things. And then we start to sacrifice all the other shit that really matters, like relationships, like you're talking about with friends and family, sleep, your physical health can definitely suffer from this, your mental and emotional health, being in touch with your spirituality, like your sexual health, all of these things, right? They all need to be there and be in balance for you to feel your best. And when fitness and nutrition start to completely take over, that's when you kind of want to step back and think, is this how I want my life to continue? Is this sustainable? And as a you know fitness professional, when I started out as a personal trainer, I was writing meal plans and giving people these exact prescription because I think in school and just industry, that's what we're led to believe that, well, that's what's going to get people results. It's as simple as eat this, not that. And I started to realize people weren't getting results. Why? Because what do we do when life happens, right? When we're, we're trying to follow this thing and we're only focused on exercise and nutrition and we have a death in the family or we have a bad breakup or, you know, you get in a fight with a friend and we don't have all those other tools in our toolbox. Like you talked about these other areas of wellness, then everything falls to shambles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely something to think about. Let's talk about orthorexia. You mentioned it. What is orthorexia? Yeah. So orthorexia is technically a a form of an eating disorder, but it's, it's different than what we typically think of, right? We think of anorexia nervosa or binge eating disorder, but it's this obsession with healthy eating, 
really getting consumed, whether it's the types of food that's your, types of foods that you're eating or calorie counting. It's, it's this obsession over health. So it's interesting because some disordered eating behaviors are praised by society and people applaud you for it and sort of envy them. And then some are shamed by society. And pretty much all of the ones associated with orthorexia are very much praised in our society and in the diet culture that we live in. So it's a really sneaky one. And I think, you know, it goes along with this whole conversation about how making healthy choices is awesome until it starts to take over your life, affect your mental health, affect all of these other parts of your wellness. And that's when it can turn into something like orthorexia, which now I think it's pretty recently, it was actually named as an eating disorder for a really long time. It wasn't even considered a a formal diagnosable eating disorder. Is that right? Yes, that is, that is correct. It is now, um, there's specific criteria to diagnose it. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about orthorexia, which is an actual eating disorder, but then there's a whole spectrum of disordered eating as well. Can you help people understand what disordered eating is? Because it's a little more wishy-washy. It is. It's definitely that gray area. So in reality, I think most people, and not just women, we think just women, but I have male clients who suffer from this as well, is it's like you said, it's this spectrum. And I think everybody deals with maybe at some point or season of their life, some some form of disordered eating. Unfortunately, that is the culture that we live in. You know, this diet culture sets us up for these expectations of this is healthy, this is not, and get, you know, gives us all these food rules that we have to live by. So disordered eating, I would describe it as the behaviors that you're making around food that aren't necessarily, they're not intuitive. They don't come second nature. For sure. Yeah, it's a great point when you bring up intuitive eating and this idea of, are you really in tune with what your body needs in that moment? Do you understand, yes, your physical hunger cues, but also your mental and emotional needs and your energy levels? And are you in tune with what's going to make you feel good? And if you're making choices in your eating and you're making choices in food that are very um, like cerebral, that are in your head because you think it's the right decision because um, someone told you it's the right decision or someone who looks like you in a look is eating that or whatever, right? If it's, if it's some kind of external thing that's making you make that choice, then that, in my opinion, can be considered disordered eating. No matter what it is, no matter how healthy it looks, like if you're not tuning in and eating intuitively, to me, that's a problem. Right. I would agree. And, and just like you described, Probably most of the listeners can resonate with that and they've been there for sure. Let's talk about your own relationship with food and exercise now, because it sounds like you've come a really long way from when you were 16 or under 16, uh, getting into group fitness classes. And then, you know, that whole journey that you took coming up and growing up with fitness, really. Let's talk about where you are now. Yeah, quite a journey it's been. So, you know, I think post-college, I was still working through, you know, what I now can look back and call it intuitive eating, but I really didn't know what I was doing. But just like you said, I was just learning to take a step back and just listen to my body and start making decisions based on what felt good, you know, not just in the moment, but for my future self. And I was able to kind of create more of this um, healthier relationship with food. And so 
it's funny we were talking about before we started recording, we were talking about the podcast that I have is called Fit Friends Happy Hour. And I started that as a passion project with one of my best friends, Lauren. And we together kind of stumbled upon intuitive eating. And so we always joke, if you go back and listen to our episodes, don't go too far back. Because <laughs> we gave a lot of very diet weight loss focused advice that we don't agree with anymore because we have discovered this more intuitive approach that's not dogmatic. So I guess you could go back and listen and be like, wow, <laughs> she's come a long way from where she is today. But there's good days and bad days. You know, I can honestly say, yes, I have a healthier relationship with food, but even being in the space, I have to do things to protect my own mental energy, protect my own mental space. You know, I've learned to identify what things could potentially be a trigger for me. So for example, you know, I used to not be able to wear a Apple watch or, you know, go to a fitness class that is attached to heart rate monitor because I would get so fixated on burning X amount of calories, getting my heart rate up. And then on the flip side, really overthinking about the foods that I choose. But now, you know, I'm able to just eat what I want when I want. And that sounds so crazy to say. And a lot of my clients I work with, I tell them that, you know, that's the goal is that you can eat what you want when you want as much as you want. And they kind of laugh because they're like, that's not real, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a pretty mind blowing way to think. And I think that if you're not doing it, then you don't really understand how it works and how it can be sustainable, but it's amazing because it can be, it takes a lot of time though. It's not like you're going to go straight from dieting into the next week. All of a sudden you're going to be able to understand what your body needs and any foods are okay. Like this is a whole process which is one of the reasons why it's so good to work with people and work with anti-diet dietitians like yourself or um, intuitive eating counselors or, you know, these people that, that are trained in this because it can be such a wonky journey. I think a lot of us in the fitness and nutrition industry can relate to what you're talking about where we disseminated a lot of advice that at one point we thought was really good and was very well-intentioned, but looking back, it's like, yeah, that was coming from a really disordered place, right? Um, and it's it just goes to show that we're all on we're all on a journey. And yes, we mean well, and we we're trying to share the right information and good information. But I don't know. I would just encourage everyone that's looking at any profile on Instagram or a website or getting fitness information from a magazine or anywhere. Like, just remember that that person is on a journey too. And you don't know the ins and outs of their life and what they're going through. So this advice that they're giving it, you don't know, if you don't know them, you don't know that it's coming from a really good, healthy place. So it's just something to think about in this crazy world of fitness and nutrition information. <laughs> Casey, that, that gave me goosebumps because it's so true. And, you know, even these, these people we put on a pedestal, it's like, but do you know their story? you know, for me kind of where I'm at and why I'm so passionate about where I am today and helping women in particular stop dieting and start living is because I've been there. I've been in their shoes and it's exhausting. But at the time you wouldn't know that, you know, or even looking at me now, you wouldn't know that where I've been to get to where I am. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the hardest parts of your relationship with food and exercise now? Because we're, nobody's perfect, right? And there's still so many things that, that I find that I struggle with. And, you know, I have better periods and worse periods, but what are some of the more challenging things for you still? Yeah, still for me, I think like a lot of people, time, 
You know, I try to squeeze in a thousand things in a minute. You know, if you tell me it's really supposed to take me 10 minutes in my head, I can fit in 20 minutes worth of work into that 10 minutes. So, <laughs> so with that, in terms of nutrition, you know, I still struggle with getting caught up in the busy and reminding myself that food is a form of self-care, right? Nourishing our body on a regular basis. That's one of the things that I need to be mindful of, you know, not just what I'm eating, but when I'm eating. Um, another one that is a constant, you know, you don't just snap your fingers and you become an intuitive eater, right? And it's, okay, I'm no longer dieting. Like It's a practice, right? It's just like fitness. If we have to constantly be working at it, you know, if you don't do these things for your mental health, your physical health, use it or lose it, right? And so for me, being in this fitness space, learning to put up blinders or just surround myself with the environments that I need to keep me in the right headspace, mm. I now am able to recognize, hmm, maybe that studio isn't the right studio for me to be at because there's so much talk about diet and weight loss and you have to kind of decide what's going to be that boundary for you. Yeah, for sure. You touched on this a bit earlier and I kind of want to grasp onto it, uh, but you talked about group fitness classes and how awesome it can be. And then now you're kind of getting at how it can be a negative environment. We run a program called Strong Academy where we really try to set a culture of body positivity. Everyone's welcome. We're all on our own journey, like really trying to find the, the wins in everyone's journey. Yeah. And creating a really good, just like strong community. But I think sometimes I get a little bit naive to think that that's the case in all group fitness spaces because diet culture is rampant in gyms and in many of these spaces it's okay to talk about you know like oh uh, well i need to lose 10 pounds or to talk badly about bodies and when you're in that environment and you're hearing it especially if you have a past of some challenges with these things it can be extremely triggering right it's even triggering for me and i feel like i've come so far let's just talk a little bit about how and why these spaces can be so negative and why you have to pick and choose where you go really carefully. First of all, I like high five for creating that program and that community that empowers women. Because like you said, sometimes it's, it's few and far between. Some fitness professionals or some gyms may only focus on the physical aspect, right? So how many calories can we burn in this class? And you know, if the instructor, or we talked about, you know, people who are on their own journey, if they're in that headspace, well, they're thinking, well, if that motivates me, that's what's going to motivate you. And, you know, looking for an instructor or class that's talking about all these other aspects of health, right? Because you probably find this in your own clients too. It's when we can tap into that internal motivation, that really deep why beyond the scale, beyond that number, as far as weight loss goes, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. That's what motivates us to exercise, not because, you know, my wedding's coming up or this, this trip, like that stuff is fleeting. That is such a good point. I 100% agree with that. And I think that I just think it's so important for people to actually get to the root of why they're doing what they do. And the more you can come to an understanding of that, you're so right. Like the easier all of this stuff is, all of a sudden it does become sustainable in your life. What are some small steps that someone can take to start improving their relationship with food and exercise if they're struggling with it? First of all, take action. Just take a small step, like pick one. It's so easy to get caught up in the, 
overwhelm of I've got to change everything. I've got to heal this overnight and give yourself compassion. I think that's the first Mm -hmm. step is give yourself compassion, start coming from a place of curiosity and not judgment. So when you're just tapping into, we talked about tapping into how you feel, maybe that's checking in with your hunger and your fullness. You know, that's an easy one that is so foundational, but I find so many people struggle with. They can identify this hunger where, you know, I'm going to cut you. I'm going to eat my arm off because I'm so hungry. They can identify that and they can identify the other end of the spectrum where they are uncomfortably stuffed. You know, maybe some guilt is associated with that feeling of fullness, but it's really hard to find that middle. And so the more you can just bring awareness to it, it's easy to go down that path of negative self-talk, but just start to go, hmm, I noticed that. That's interesting. Hmm, why do I feel that way around food? Hmm, why did I choose to eat this, not that, or you know, that much of this thing? And just start to talk to yourself. I know that sounds crazy, but that and journaling can be really powerful to just bring awareness. Yeah, I love the word curiosity. Just yeah, be curious like about what's going on and about what's going on with my hunger signals, how hungry or full am I? And that intuitive eating scale of one to 10, like you're talking about people are often good, really good at understanding a one and a 10, but what about all of the other areas in between, right? And can we start to dial into those? I love that advice. It's great. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about you as a dietitian. There is a very wide spectrum of dietitians and what they value and what they care about. I just always find it so interesting because I feel like the training is, like you said, very scientific and can be very calorie driven and energy driven and nutrient driven, right? And it doesn't necessarily acknowledge the mental and emotional components of food. So how are you different from dietitians that are really only solely focused on those things? Part-time, I actually work in a hospital with kids and adults who have rare metabolic disorders who, so who can't actually metabolize either protein, fat, or carbohydrates. And so they follow these very strict diets. And that's what I think of when I think of diet. I think of it is just the eating pattern, the way we eat, versus on the flip side with my private practice and kind of my own philosophy as a dietitian is that there's still science backing up everything that we do as dietitians, but one thing that I believe my coursework didn't really tap into, they don't teach us how to communicate effectively, how to counsel people, how to really drive behavior change. I think I took a one credit hour course on, you know, on nutrition communication. And so when I got out in the field and I had this, you know, this fitness background, I was writing, like I said, writing meal plans and it wasn't working. It's these people's mindset around food. It's their mindset around food and exercise. And how can I, so what I do with clients now is I really tap into the why. What is it that we, you believe about food? Why is it that you feel this way? How, you know, how do you feel about your body and why? So I almost talk about it as like um, nutrition counseling, like I'm almost like a nutrition therapist because most of my clients are, not most, all of them are very bright and they can go on the internet. They can read a research article, they can figure out, yes, I need to eat more vegetables, less fruit, things like that, but they're not tapped into the fundamentals and the feeling and the, and the mindset and the beliefs. So once we work past that, then we can really make changes that are sustainable. It's so crazy in this field, isn't it? Like we learn, this happens in fitness too. 
you learn all the exercises, you learn all the muscles, you learn like what people need to be able to do to move well. And that's all great. But then all of a sudden you're in the gym with a client and you realize that 50% of the battle is them feeling good about their workout, getting to the gym, like fitting it into their life. It's just the soft side of things and understanding everything else that goes into it is at least 50% of it. And you're right. Like we don't, we're not taught that enough in a lot of these programs. It's something that you just have to learn on the job. And the more, the longer I'm a trainer, the more I care about that stuff and like really want to dial into my communication and how I'm connecting with the client and relating to them and, you know, able to help other aspects of their life and their mentality. It's just, it's interesting. Like it, the, the mindset that I was in right at when I became a trainer to now, it's like, I care about such different things. Yeah. It's, it's 180 and I relate to that so much, but the average Joe, they don't really care to be honest, whether you know that it's, you know, your biceps femoris or they, they don't care about the science, which is like hurts our science driven hearts a little bit. But (laughs) at the end of the day, that's not what they lay their head down with and, you know, gets them up the next day, I guess. Exactly. What's the best lesson that you feel like you learned in 2019? Oh my goodness. Just because you can do everything doesn't mean that you should. So my year of 2020 is focusing on becoming better at my craft, doing a few things great versus just trying to do everything. So I need to listen to that book, Year of Less. I think that's a book. I need to listen to it. Art of Less Doing. I just read that book. It's a really good one and it's short. So I definitely recommend that one. It's great. When, when, when I'll have to check it out. Yeah. What's next for Katie? What do you have coming up? Well, that's part of trying to do less and work smarter, (laughs) not harder. I did reflect a lot about this kind of in January and just, gosh, where is it that I've been and where is it that I want to go? And I'm really enjoying this new season. I'm still, I still feel fairly green as a dietitian and just as an entrepreneur. And so I'm trying to be present more, but I think future, I'd like to get more into speaking, kind of just pushing myself outside my comfort zone and in different areas that that I haven't yet even explored. Awesome. Okay, let's do a quick fire round to get to know you a little bit more. Bring it on, I'm ready. Okay, great. So I'll give you some rapid fire questions and I'm just looking for quick answers whenever comes to the top of your head, okay? Okay. What's your favorite thing in your closet right now? Right now, it is my Lululemon vinyasa scarf. I normally had it on, but it's in the washer. I have like three of them and they're all dirty. But normally I have it on all the time because I'm freezing. I travel in it. I put it on after workout, before workout. Like it is freezing here in the Midwest. So that's definitely my number one. What did you used to want to be when you grew up? I used to want to be an actress. And I think group fitness set me up for that, right? Because when I put on the microphone, sometimes I'm like, I am a different person. I'm like this alter ego, like Sasha Fierce. So it all came to, it all came to fruition eventually. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that skills are totally used. You're kind of on stage when you're when you're doing that and leading a class. That's awesome. What is your spirit animal? Oh my goodness. The first thing that came to mind was like a sloth and then I was like, "Wait, no, I'm That sounds I'm like a, the opposite of I what know. you are." I know. Like, That's not a sloth. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'd say probably 
a lion, right? Like a lion is kind of a little bit of a hot mess with their big, big mane, but they're fierce. So we'll go with, we'll go with lion, not a sloth. strong as hell. So that's a great answer. Do you have any tattoos? I do not. I want to tattoo, but I feel like I have to be really inspired. Like something life-changing really has to happen to me in order to get a tattoo. So I'm still waiting for that, that to happen. Do you have any tattoos? No, I'm still a blank slate also. <laughs> and I always thought that I would get, well, like I always had in my head, oh yeah, I'll get a tattoo at some point. But I don't know. The more I think about it, I actually wouldn't be surprised if I never get one. My sister though, my sister's all about the tattoos. She's like on a kick. She's got a lot of cool ones. So it's interesting how we went like total opposite ways on that. Okay, Katie, my last question for you. This is one that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Right now, what fires me up is knowing that I'm going to make an impact. I don't think I could say the same when I was working full-time clinical. Like it was very easy to just go through the motions and get up, punch in, punch out. But now that I am an entrepreneur and, and have my own practice and get to do more of the things that excite me, I do. I get excited to jump out of bed and go, what do I get to get creative with today? And whose life do I get to change because of that creativity? That's, that's what really fires me up. Cool. I love it. It is so cool as an entrepreneur that you kind of just get to follow whatever it is that you feel like is going to make the biggest impact in people's lives. And that's really exciting and scary at some points, but it's definitely not boring. It definitely ebbs and flows, but you know, that's, that's part of the joy, right? For sure. If people want to learn more about you, get more information from you, how can they find you? I know you're located in Indianapolis, which is crazy because I have such close connections to Indianapolis. A bunch of my family is there. Like I spent pretty much the whole month of December there. My husband's from there. I went to school there, all this stuff. So it's very cool that you're in Indy, but how do people, if they're not in Indianapolis, find you? If I would have known that, we should have met up for coffee like a month ago. We're just, we're a little behind. So next time you're in town, you'll have to let me know. I know for sure. I definitely will. If you want to find me, I am all about the gram. So I am on Instagram at K-T-Hake, H-A-K-E, or just go to my website, katiehake.com. Awesome. Easy enough. And I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was an amazing conversation. I appreciate everything that you shared with us. Thank you for the space to share what I'm excited about with. And, you know, I know you really value and offer a lot to your audience. So I appreciate you for allowing me to do the same. Of course. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? If you enjoy what you're hearing on the podcast, I would love if you could do two things. First of all, make sure that you rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really go a long way. And then second, I ask that you share it with someone in your life that you think could benefit from the stuff that we talk about on How Do You Feel? As a reminder, be on the lookout for an episode every Monday morning. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. All right, everybody, have an awesome week. And as always, make sure that you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.